Thank you, Cole and musicians. Let's pray as we consider this text this morning. Father, as, as we just sang, uh, we want to wonder grace and justice, how they join and point to mercy's store in Christ. We, we encounter a difficult text this morning, a text describing your severe judgment uh, to a place, um, and that is not something that we, especially we in the 21st century, are comfortable with. And we ask that you would help us to have open minds, open hearts, spirit, convict, penetrate our, our hearts and our minds, and teach us from your word its truth. Um, it's what gives us bearings in the world. And so we ask that you would um, work through your word this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, just a little review on Genesis. God creates a world. It's a world marked by peace and flourishing. Uh, You could think of it like there's like interlocking harmony. The world's integrated. People, uh, man and woman, are, are relating well and properly and, and, and together as they ought. Uh, there's relationships, there, there's, there's integration between humanity, there's integration between the people and creation through little microbes that aren't harming them in the, to the degree that they do now. Um, the, uh, the animals are, are flourishing, the, the land works in tandem with the people. There's integration, there's flourishing. We get little like whiffs of that every once in a while. But one of the marks of, the fallen, of a fallen world is that that integration has begun to unravel. That what we experience in life in a fallen world is not interlocking harmony, but disintegration. Things falling apart. And here's the, the fundamental problem. The reason all the world, all of creation was, was, was harmoniously relating to, to itself is because we... God's stewards of creation were in proper relationship to our creator. And the harmony and fellowship that existed in that relationship fell apart when Adam and Eve rebelled. And consequently, there was a cascade of disintegration that is hitting every, every pocket of life. We feel it, don't we? Sometimes it feels like the, just the wheels are about to come off. And that's what sin does. We... Uh, a few weeks ago, we said um, sin cuts and bends. It cuts us off from the life of God, and it bends us in on ourselves. So you could imagine like leaves are starting to fall. A leaf gets cut off from its life source, and it falls to the ground. And what starts happening in a day or two? It starts crumpling, bending in on itself. That's what sin does to us. We've been cut off from our life source, cut off from our creator. So we bend in. Here's another thing sin does. It disintegrates. Add that to your like, repertoire of how sin works. It disintegrates things. That's what it does. Now, last week, you uh, may recall, we, we, this is sort of a two-parter, by the way. Uh, last week, we considered judgment deliberated, and this week, we're looking at judgment delivered. 
Um, and last week we said there's, there's an irony, and the irony is this. We, kind of modern American, 21st century folk, we have no place for a judging God. We don't like that. The sound of that just sounds kind of offensive to our ears. We don't like that. Uh, and yet, we are so judgy as evidenced by our social media interactions. We love to pronounce judgments on everyone and everything. And so that's, it actually kind of makes sense, right? If you lose, like, the, you know, we use the example of a sporting match. If there's a referee and a judge, there's not much complaining that goes on on the field. But if you watch kids play pickup soccer or football or whatever, they're going to be arguing every play because there's no judge. So they become judges themselves. A little bit of that's going on, I think. But what we saw last week is we need a judge. We want a judge as evidenced by all of our moral proclamations that we make judging others. We want to judge. If you've seen a movie or a story, read a book about an injustice, you want that set right. And we don't have the care, we don't have the competency, we don't have the power to do anything, at least to do any significant judging. We get little isolated incidents right, uh, but by and large we miss a lot of these injustices, don't we? But there's a judge. And as we saw last week, he's careful, he's competent, we're going to see this week, powerful, and also merciful. That's what we focused on last week, his care, his competency, and his mercy. This week, we're going to see judgment delivered to Sodom, and we're going to see Lot uh, delivered from that judgment narrowly, but still, nonetheless, he's delivered and what, what happens in the course of this passage, it's a long passage, is Lot's, Lot's life and the life of those living in Sodom, it's disintegrating. It's like falling apart. The wheels are coming off of Sodom and even Lot's life as a result of, of his life of sin. Remember, um, it's what sin does, right? It disintegrates. Remember way back when Lot and Abraham are parting ways, and Abraham says, Lot, just look at the whole horizon. Take whatever land you want. And Lot sees Sodom, and he sees all the, the, the it looks like paradise. It looks like the Garden of Eden. And so he moves his way, and he settles outside of Sodom. And then the next time we find Lot, he's like dwelling in Sodom, okay? Which is a, it's a wicked city, as we've learned, and we're going to see today. And now we see he's not just dwelling in Sodom, he's a man of influence in Sodom. He's sitting by the gate, verse 1 of, of our passage. That means he's like a, he's an influencer in the city of Sodom. He's, to stand by the gate, it's sort of like hanging out at the Chamber of Commerce or hanging out at Town Hall. Like it's, it was the place where important things happened. So he's there. So he, he's like... He's, centri- he's not on the margins, he's in the center of the city. And his life, walking apart from the family of faith and walking by sight, is going to bring severe consequences into his life, as sin always does. It's going to bring disintegration. It's going to break apart his life. His life is going to unravel in many ways. There is hope, though, and we'll, we'll get to that. Cornelius Plantinga says, sin disintegrates 
it causes things to lose their shape, their strength, their purpose. And when God brings his judgment, do you know what happens? The disintegrative effects of sin are accelerated. Remember the plagues in Egypt? In the very next book, the book of Exodus, the big question is, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that keeps showing up? And remember, he appears at the burning bush, and and, and God, he tells us who he is. He, He says, I am that I am, which is another way to say, I am the creator and the sustainer of the world. And Pharaoh, remember when Moses says, let God's people go, and Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should listen to him? And Moses gives him a little insight into who the Lord is in the form of plagues. He's the judge and creator of the universe. And if you cross him, you will bring disintegration into your life. And that's what the plagues were. The, 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 the plagues are, are, are God accelerating the effects of sin. The Nile River dies. It, it, it turns to blood. It's slain. Um, and, and of course, it it literally dies, like all the life that's in it dies. And when, when there's a death, there's a, there's a, these are miracles, these plagues, but there's a sequence to them that we need to see. When the, when, the, when the river dies, what happens? Well, the frogs come out of the marshes and they invade the city. And what happens when you have a dead river? You get a fly infestation and all sorts of diseases grow and the flies come and the cows get sick and the, and the people start getting boils and there's this, there's this connectedness. Everything's just falling apart in Egypt because the leader of Egypt is resisting rebelliously, stubbornly, the way of the Lord. He's sinning. It's bringing disintegration, not just into Pharaoh's life, but into the life of the whole people of Egypt. Okay? That kind of disintegration is happening in, this, in our passage today as well. We're going to see that. We're going to consider three things. There's more than that, but we, we just have time for three. We're going to consider a welcome that disintegrates, a welcome that, that, that falls apart, that disintegrates. We're going to see a word that disintegrates, and we're going to see, third, a city that disintegrates. So a word, or, I'm sorry, a welcome, a word, and a city all fall apart because of sin. So let's jump right in. The angels, now remember, the angels and the Lord have visited uh, Abraham in his tent. And last week they said, we're going to go to Sodom. We've heard the outcry of the people, of the injustice of Sodom. And we're going to go see for ourselves. And so they're coming into town. And, and it says the only ones that are mentioned are the angels that come. And Lot is there at the gate. Now he's all by himself. You know, cases were judged at the gate. And so it's sort of a, maybe a subtle way of, of saying there's no justice in Sodom. The only one that's there is Lot. Nobody cares. But Lot's there. The angels come. And he bows before them. He gives them a welcome. He washes their feet. He's hospitable. The angels want to stay in the town square. And Lot says, Ooh, uh, why don't you just stay with me? I think Lot, he's probably seen a few things happen before in the city of Sodom. That there's like a playbook that they're working from. He's like, why don't he presses them, it says. Like, Wait, stay with me. You know, very kind of a little pushy. Stay with me. And he throws, uh, he throws a, 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 a feast, kind of. It's not quite what Abraham did. You know, it's unleavened bread. It's quickly baked. It wasn't the cakes. There's no fattened calf that's 
sacrifice. Lot. He does his best. He throws the old TV dinner in the microwave and hands out the solo cups and, and they partake. He's, he's hospitable though. He's, he's welcomed these, uh, these angels to his home. But after dinner, the welcome begins to disintegrate. It begins to fall apart. Look at verse 4. Before the angels and everyone went to sleep, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, young and old, every, every one of them, every man in the city, surrounded the house. It's like a mob situation. They're surrounding the house. Verse 5. And remember the question, if there's, if there's one righteous, if there's 50 righteous, 45, remember Abraham's questions last week, right? The text is really saying, every man in the city, young and old, every last one of them. And they, this is what they say, verse 5. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them. And the language of know, as, as we've said and you probably know, is uh, it's a sexual relationship is what they're after. They want to sexually exploit these men. That's what's, that's what's happening here. Now, remember why the angels are there? What are they doing there? To see if the wickedness of Sodom is, is if it's as wicked as the outcry has come up to the Lord as being. Can you imagine? Do you think they got their answer? I mean, uh, every, when I was a headmaster at a school, every year we had the fire marshal come down and kind of you know, inspect the situation, make a judgment on whether we were safe when it came to fires. Imagine that that fire marshal comes and the kindergartners are running around in a dark room with sparklers and the second graders are like lighting firecrackers and he goes into the gym and the, the middle school PEs, they're playing dodgeball but they're using Roman candles and, and a high schooler like just lights the fire marshal on fire just to see what happens. That would, that would fail. You, you would undoubtedly fail that judgment and that's kind of what's going on these angels come into the city to inspect to judge to see if the outcry is what it is and look at how they're met by a mob that wants to violently and sexually exploit them so there's this angry lust-filled mob they're becoming pushy the whole situation's like teetering on violence and lot takes courage can you imagine? They're banging on the door. And he goes out. Look at what he says. I beg you, brothers, do not act so wickedly. Okay? Good job, Lot. However, look at what he says, verse 8. But, if let's try to smooth things over a bit. I can see you're upset. I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them to you and do whatever you please to them. Just don't do anything to these men, for they've come under the shelter of my roof. Fail. Right? And by the way, his daughters are betrothed to the sons-in-laws. And there's, it, it's maybe not clear, but they're, they're betrothed. So Lot offers up his two virgin betrothed daughters to every man in the city and says, do as you please. Sin is messy. If you live your life moving towards sin, you will, you will find yourself between a rock and a hard place. You will find yourself in a compromised position where you see no easy way out. And that's where Lot is. He's voluntarily placed himself there. He's settled there. 
quite contentedly. Students, you, you find yourself at a party. You know there's no good that's going to happen at this party, but you're there. And then you feel yourself, you're between a rock and a hard place. There's no, there's no clear, easy, good way out of the situation. Or you're in a bit, you've entered into a business dealing and you know it's not a great person to work with. And you know that there's some shady stuff that goes on. And you get, kind of go down that road and you, and you find yourself in this compromised situation where you don't know, there's really no good way out of it. That's where a lot is. I mean, what would you do in that situation? Lot does what Lot seems to do in his life, and that is he negotiates. It's like, I've got, a, I've got a deal. But, you know, you kind of ask the question, what else, what else could he have done? I'll tell you what he could have done. Abraham's been between a rock and a hard place this whole journey, faith journey, right? Land will be yours. Child, your own child with Sarah will be yours. There's nothing on his horizon that says that that is possible or even even a remote possibility. This is going to happen anytime soon. And what does Abraham do? He trusts in God. He prays. Remember last week? He's praying to God, pleading with God. Lot negotiates, takes matters into his, I got, I got a plan. I think I can see a way out of this. But it's, it's damaging and disintegrating to his family too. Can you imagine? His daughters are... The whole family is listening to this conversation because why is the whole town storming our door? Well, let's see where the negotiations go. Verse 9. The, the, the men say, This fella came to sojourn. The guy that we welcomed into this city thinks he can tell us what to do. He's become the judge. Now, we're going to deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break the door down. They're like, look, this guy, now never mind that the reason the whole city has been delivered and saved from their uh, imprisonment, from the big cheese, remember that passage way back? is because of their, relation, their connection to Lot and Lot's brother or uncle who saved him in dramatic fashion and saved the whole city of Sodom. So never mind that. They're saying, look, this guy has become the judge. David Wells has said that wickedness makes righteousness look evil and evil look righteous. That's what's happening right here. Lot is being hospitable. It's a Christian virtue to welcome the alien, to welcome the person that is outside of your gates, to welcome that person. These men came to the gate. Lot welcomed them, and he's taking care of them. And he's fighting for their protection. With courage, we'll add, but some problems too. And, um, and the city says, you're in the wrong. We, you, you're the judge of us? No, we're judging you, and that's wrong. That's a, that's, a, that's a city violation of this town. That's not how this town operates. You hand over the guests of the city so we can do what we want with them. That's what the city's saying. They're, they're, they're making wickedness look righteous. That's how the city operates. That's how we do things here, is what they're saying. Well, needless to say, the welcome is disintegrating, isn't it? 
This is not, when you have somebody over, this is not how you want it to go. Things are falling apart in this situation. Lot's trying to be hospitable, and yet the city is citing him for a violation. Lot's welcome disintegrates into survival situation for Lot, for the angel, and for Lot's family. And it's what's, like we said, it's what sin does. It disintegrates things. It makes things fall apart, unravel, break apart. And as Lot's negotiations are quickly deteriorating, the angels rescue him with a dazzling display of power. The Hebrew word to use, that used to describe that he was blinded is always used with like um, light. It's like the, the glory, the divine glory just penetrates the, the, the whole scene. And the, the men of Sodom are, light is shined on the darkness. And they can't, they can't even see. And so they're sitting there groping for the door and they can't, they're blinded. They're blinded, and Lot is rescued. Now, the second thing, so that's the welcome that disintegrates. Second point is the word that disintegrates. You know, the Hebrew text is it's so sparse with its words, isn't it? You, don't you want, I mean, sometimes I'm like, I wish there was a little more, like, what's Abraham thinking right here? What, you know, very sparse. And yet, Lot is such a colorful character in this story. The angels... Um, said, we've seen for ourselves the wickedness of this place, and we're going to destroy it. Get all of your family, your whole house, and we're going to bring them out, everybody. And interesting side note here, because I've been in this conversation with many of you. Notice that, again, it's this household language. that Lot, The angels are making provisions for Lot's whole household. And so Lot goes, verse 14, look at verse 14. He goes to his sons-in-laws, and they were going to marry his daughters... So they're betrothed, they're engaged. And he says, up, get out of this place. The Lord's about to destroy the city. And look at their response. They thought he was joking. They thought he was joking. You know, words matter. Over time, if we're careful with words, our words will gain weight, like us, over time. Uh, but it's a good thing when they gain weight, right? It's a, it's a good thing. They, they gain weight. If, if we're careful with our words, if we're truthful, if we work over the decades for, for, to be people of integrity, our words gain weight over time. But they can also lose weight. They can also become emaciated. If we're careless with words and we're talking all the time and we're just, you know, the talking head and we've got something to say about everything and we've had a little, we've had a little success in this area and so we think, well, I'm awesome at everything. So we start just speaking about all sorts of topics that we know nothing about and people eventually will begin to say, Psh. they may look like they're listening, oh yeah, but they're thinking, this guy's just blowing smoke. And you know what the end result of that is? People won't listen to you, one, and and. What we see happening to Lot. I bet Lot's blown a lot of smoke in his day. He's talked about all his glory. You know, you know who was the hero of, the, of Lot's rescue? Lot. Yeah, I was there and, and the, Abraham was coming in. I said, hey, you know, we're over here. I, I figured out how to break out of here. And he was the hero of that story, I'm sure. And his words don't matter. See, this, the fact that they're, they're he's, he's saying, look, this place is about to blow. And they laugh. It's a testimony of Lot's character and the weight of his word. It's also a testimony of the character of his sons-in-laws. 
Lot is acting, crazy enough, as a prophet right here. He's, he's proclaiming the word of the Lord to his sons-in-laws. Now, we've seen the word of the Lord come to a lot of people in the Abraham story. You know what's happened in every instance? They've laughed every time. Offspring with Sarah, Abraham, laughs. Two or three weeks ago, offspring, your own, in one year, with Sarah, Sarah laughs. And now the sons-in-laws are laughing at the word of the Lord. And guess what? Every time God speaks, it comes to pass. The word of the Lord comes to pass. And this is why every week, not every week, but a lot of weeks, we say, all flesh, we quote Isaiah, all flesh is like grass, it's glory like the flowers, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. No matter how crazy, how impossible it sounds or seems to us, it is true. It is sure. It will come to pass. And this is why we preach the Bible every week. No matter, this is not the passage that I think, man, I, this is the passage I want to preach. When I think about preaching, this is one of the last ones I want to preach. But because we're preaching the scriptures, we're just moving right along. It's all God's word. And in fact, this may be a particularly important passage because we don't like it. And, and so that's what we do. We preach the scriptures. And we, as a congregation, need to steward our words well and not be careless with them. If we're not good stewards of our words, we... In the end, our words matter very little. We might become a joke, like Lot, in a very important moment. He's a joke to them, to his sons-in-laws. So his word disintegrates amidst the shambles of his life, right? His word disintegrating, that wasn't just a fluke. Behind that was, was decades of a life lived by sight, not by faith. A life lived in orbit around Lot, not by the Lord, the Creator, so that's, that's the word that disintegrates. Now the, the next point and final point is Sodom disintegrates. Sodom falls apart, is obliterated. It's where sin leads every time. This is, we're getting a picture to what the consequences of sin are for, for all of us. If, if left unchecked, this is where sin goes. It disintegrates. It falls off. The wheels come apart. Sooner or later, it's, it's what happens. And we see that here. And Abraham is encamped like 20 miles away is where he is. And, um, you know, uh, I sometimes will go up to UCO, walk around, and there, it's kind of on a hill. And UCO's, the campus, is about 20 miles from downtown Oklahoma City. And you know what you can see on a clear day from the parking lot of UCO? You can see the Devon Tower. So Abraham's about that distance, and he sees smoke, like smoke coming out of a furnace rising to the sky. He can see that actually quite well. And he knows what happens. He knows that God has brought his judgment. And I, I, I would imagine that Abraham also remembers his conversation with Lot about where Lot would go to live when Abraham so generously said, Lot, survey the whole landscape. You, you go wherever you want to go and I'll go the other way. And Lot does, and it is his, uh, it's his undoing in many ways. And, um, you know, Lot sees opportunity there in Sodom. He sees life 
there in Sodom. You know, when it's described how Lot, we said this when we hit it, when Lot, um, it, it's described what Lot happens to Lot. He sees the land, it looks like paradise, and he takes it, he, he goes towards it. And the way it's described is very much like Eve seeing the fruit on the tree, dangling, glistening there, and taking it. That's what, that's what Lot did. He saw something, life apart from God, and it dazzled. It sparkled. It was, he was going to the big city. And look at, look at where it led. And this is, like, this is important. Sin sparkles. Uh, Cornelius Plantinga, again, says that you know, evil spends a lot of money on makeup. It works really hard to look really nice. But in every instance, it leads us down the same road. It leads to death. So there you have the story. Fire and brimstone. Uh, sexual exploitation. Guests not being welcomed. Um, now, I, I do want to point out, so the, the treatment of these guests by the whole city was a major problem, right? But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Underneath that single act, Ezekiel tells us what the sin was. Ezekiel sixteen forty nine. Behold, this was the guilt of Sodom. She and her daughters, they were prideful. They had all kinds of food. They were, they were prosperous and ease, but they did not aid the poor and the needy. They were greedy of heart. You know, we kind of categorize sins. There's like, there's like for, for like the politically left, there's uh, sins of poverty and need and treatment of the poor. That's really important concerns. And the sins of the rights are like, um, you know, homosexuality, sexual sins, um, abortion. And here, you see what's happening here. The Bible's saying, you know, pushing it all together, saying, it's all evil. And it's all rooted in the same thing. Greed of heart. Paul, Paul, Paul roots it in not being thankful to our Creator. That that's the fundamental sin under the sin. Okay? So that's, that's what happens. Now, I would imagine, as we conclude, I would imagine you have maybe one of two responses that are, that are kind of taking place. One response is, you laugh, like Lot's son-in-laws. You think, man, this judgment of God stuff, it's a little outdated, it's a little old-fashioned. You're, you're not laughing, I know you're not, I'm not seeing anybody laughing right now, but your heart is sort of scoffing at the whole idea, there's no way. That's just, it's too mean, it's too harsh, I don't like it, therefore it's not true. If that's what you're thinking, I, I, would, I would challenge you and say you may be a product of your cultural moment, that, that we live a pretty cushy life, as we've said before, um, things come pretty easy, life is pretty stable for us, sure we suffer, Every, everyone does, but in the span of human history, our suffering is pretty light. This is a pretty good time and place to live. And as we noted, as Mir- Miroslav Volf would say, look, that makes us less inclined to a judging God. But if you've experienced like real injustice, if a warring tribe has come in and slaughtered your, 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 your whole tribe 
and done horrible things to you, you want a judging God. Most of the world does not have a problem with a judging God. We need to understand they may have more problems with his grace, not his justice. But the scriptures hold them both together and say they're both perfections of his nature. So, so, don't, so I guess my, my, my point is this. Allow the scriptures, which are true, God's word always comes to pass. Allow that to inform your understanding of God, not what you feel about how God should be. Because if you allow how you feel to be God, about what God to be, how, how you feel about how God should be to inform who God is for you, you'll never change. That's a God of your own make. That is the definition of an idol. It's, it's my God, how I want God to be. But we're confronted with these difficult things. Now, okay, so that's one. You laugh at this whole thing or scoff at it. Another response I think is also problematic, and that's to, like, celebrate it. Yeah, judgment. I love it. Judgment delivered. Like, get the bad guys. You know, our culture is soft, and they're weak on, on justice. This text has bite. It has crunch. Like, Lot had it coming. You sleep in the bed you make. Right? That's not a good response either. I, I believe this, this passage right here, is, is the, the, the response to it is sober-mindedness. It should sober us to God and his judgment. It should awaken us to the reality of God's holiness and his righteousness. The Exodus 34 character of God that he is abounding in steadfast love he's slow to anger he's faithful but he will by no means clear the guilty he brings his perfect righteous judgment in time and we should be sobered to that truth the destruction of Sodom the disintegrating effects of sin like sin right at this moment is ripping people apart it's ripping families apart it's ripping marriages apart. It's ripping communities apart. It's ripping uh, cultural groups and races apart. It's, it, 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 it's disintegrating all around us. That's what sin does. Imagine like a rope uh, that's docking a boat, and it's got a little fray. It's got a little bit of disintegration in it. And you don't even notice it. Uh, when it's calm, and the boat's just sitting there, and the waters are calm, it's a sunny day, there's no wind, but when the clouds roll in, and the waves start crashing, and the pressure is applied, what happens to that rope in that moment? It breaks. You see, that's what's happening in this whole passage. Lot's life, you can kind of get along and patch things together, and there's all these clues that Lot's kind of patching up this life, his life is falling apart, but when the heat comes, it it falls apart. All the pressures, uh, the, 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 the fissures in his life just open up and, and it becomes clear the course of his life. And a little sneak peek, next week we're going to find Lot in a cave drunk and having just slept with both of his daughters who are trying to impregnate themselves with him. So that's where it's heading. We'll get there next week, so that'll be fun too. Um, so that's where it's going. Listen to what Bruce Waltke says. Lot tries to be a blessing, but instead appears as a bungler and buffoon. He fails as a host. He fails as a citizen. 
He fails as a husband. He fails as a father. He wants to protect his guests, but he needs to be protected by them. He tries to save his family, and they think he's joking. Afraid to journey to the mountains, he pleads for a little town. Can you believe that? We didn't even talk about that. You know, he, he's just left this city that's filled with sin, and, and the angels say, go to the mountains. And he's, he's just been delivered from, like, the destruction of Sodom. And he says, hey, wait, there, do I have to go to the mountains? There's a little city over there. It's just, it's a little one. Like, little sin over there. Can I go settle over there? And eventually we'll see that he, he's afraid of the town, and then he ends up fleeing to the mountains. And that's, that's where we'll find him next week. Do you see what a failure lot is? But I think one of the most encouraging statements in all the scripture, and listen to this, this is incredible. Do you know what the New Testament says about Lot? It calls, it uses an adjective to describe him. He's righteous. Righteous Lot. That's what the New Testament says about Lot. It's hard to imagine a more powerful statement of God's grace than to hear that Lot is righteous. That he's in God's care. It's incredible. I want us to consider, look at verses 15 and 16. I want, to know, I want you to note how God's grace comes to him. How can Lot be described as righteous? How does God's grace come to Lot? Look at verses 15 and 16. So it's the morning of the judgment. The angels like urge Lot, like, up, take, like, get out of here with your wife and your daughters, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. So, but what does Lot do? He lingers. You're getting kids ready for school or something, tardy, looming, that's the judgment. You're like, we got to get out the door, come on. And they're lingering, dragging their feet, kind of, Lot gets up, he's like rubbing his eyes. Oh, can I, do I, it's early, do I have to get up? He lingers. He's dragging his feet. He doesn't want to be saved. He doesn't want to be delivered. He wants to stay in his old patterns and ways. And what do the angels do? They literally grab him and drag him out by force, by the hand, and his wife, and his two daughters. And that's their mercy. He had no interest in salvation and neither do we, honestly. Remember how Paul describes it? In, in one of the great statements on our salvation, Ephesians chapter 2, he says that we were dead in our sins. We were following the course of this world. So, uh, dead in sin, following the world. We were following Satan, the prince of the power in the air. Moving, here's God, and we're moving in this direction. This is where we're, we are. But God, verse 4 of chapter 2, grabs us, seizes us, and brings us into his care and his salvation. And all of a sudden, we're snapped out of our slumber of sin, and we're awakened to the mercies. And that's what we're trying to do every week, is to awaken ourselves to the mercies of Christ. That's what, that's, that's what we aim to. When we planted this church, that was our desire. Awaken people to God's mercy, to sinners in Christ. That's what we're trying to do every week. It's incredible. You've seen the, uh, the people like in the midst of a flood, maybe a hurricane, and the flood waters are it's just 
complete devastation. It's all water. Maybe a few rooftops in the water that you see. And you see people sometimes on their rooftop. And remember the person that the helicopter's got a ladder. And they're like, come on. We got rescue. I'm not leaving my home. I'm not leaving. That's, that's our posture towards God. That's what, this, that's what Paul says in Ephesians. While we were enemies of God, he came and he, he sends his spirit down and he grabs us off the rooftop, brings us up, and we're like, and then we realize, oh my gosh, how could I not? Why did I opt for that? It's God's spirit awakening us to his glory. And that's how it happens. That's how salvation happens. It's a wonderful picture. Lot's salvation is our salvation. But still, question, how can Lot be described as righteous? That's kind of, that's bothering me a bit. Moses brought plagues. And remember what they did? They accelerated the effects of sin. They sped them up and all the world was, all of Egypt was falling apart breaking apart, the river was dying, the frogs were coming, pestilence, boils, death of the firstborn, it was just falling apart. Jesus, the second Moses, came, and do you remember what he did? He didn't, he, he didn't do plagues, he did actually the reverse, he did miracles. You know what he was doing? He was not accelerating the effects of sin, he was reversing the effects of sin. He was putting things back together. He was giving the blind sight. He was making the lame walk. He was reintegrating the world because that's what he came to do. And what happened on the cross? He was disintegrated. He was ripped apart. His body became unrecognizable so that we might be put back together. He took God's judgment, the swift disintegration of a soul. He took upon himself so that we might be made righteous. We say it all the time. Our righteousness is not based in anything in ourselves. It's based solely in Christ. That's how, that's how Lot's righteous. I mean, can you find a redeeming quality in Lot, in Lot? It's really hard. The courage that he shows maybe stepping out the front door. I mean, he's a failure. But he's in God's heavenly home. He's with, he's with Christ because of Christ. And that's the gospel. It's such good news to us. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. It is powerful. We ask that you would um, help us to believe it, to trust your promises, to um, live as you've called us to live. We know the only way for true transformation to happen is for your love to touch us, to melt our hard hearts. And it's on that basis that we are, are changed, uh, your, your grace. And so we ask for your grace to come in full um, as we continue through this worship service, ministering the sacraments, baptizing, the Lord's Supper, um, singing together, worshiping together, fellowshipping together. Would your spirit continue to be at work? We know, we trust that it is, and we ask that we would see its display. And we look forward to the time when you display the work of new creation that you're doing throughout the universe. We look forward to that day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.